Friendship power flop. Friendship power flop. Let's go shonen flop. Let's go shonen flop. Hey everyone, welcome to this episode of Shonen Flop, where we talk about manga series and shonen jump that didn't make it big. I'm David. I'm Jordan. Let's just get straight to it. We're hungry to talk about some manga, and we are joined by Trey. Trey, thank you so much for joining us this episode. I almost said week, as I always do. <laughs> but we are a fortnightly podcast, and so we cannot stay in this week's episode. <laughs> True. Trey, please feel free to introduce yourself to the audience. Hey, how's it going, everyone? My name is Trey Watson. I am a musician and composer. I mainly make covers of rock music, anime, memes, a lot of other things on YouTube. You were also in the Doom Choir, weren't you? I was part of the Hell Choir for Doom Eternal, and I am actually currently doing some composition work for Riot Games. Whoa, that is pretty awesome. Yeah, those are the people that make League of Legends, right? Indeed it is. Oh, indeed, that's where I work. (laughs) David works in Indeed, by the way, if you couldn't parse what he just said. Nice. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck off, Jordan. Getting back into it, this episode, we are going to be talking about a series called Hungry Joker. And to get into the mega details about Hungry Joker, it was created by Tabata Yuki, who has created a better known series called Black Clover. It's been running a Shonen Jump for about seven years now. It's got an anime, it's got games, it's got movies, I think. So definitely a very large success for an offer that really didn't do quite so well with this series. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It ran from November 12th, 2012 to May 13th, 2013. So actually its date numbers lined up really well. 1212 12 to 1313. 13. Oh yeah. R slash oddly satisfying. And it ran for 24 chapters over three volumes. And it was actually based on a original pilot that was also called Hungry Joker. But I would say about 90% of it really didn't carry over just the design of the main character, the fact that it has gravity powers, and then otherwise it's super different. This generic story about this guy who has to fight monsters or he dies because he needs to drink their blood because he's got infected by this disease and he's like protecting towns and somehow they made the main character even more of a huge asshole which actually is quite an achievement (laughs) we'll go into it but this may be one of the least likable main characters i've ever read he's a fucking dick yeah and so why don't we turn that as a segue to actually go into more of the details so jordan would you like to go into what the actual plot of hungry joker is (sighs) okay let's do this Big sigh. This is going to be an essay. Heidi is a boy genius with amnesia, trying to discover the secret of his past. All he remembers is a black apple which he has obtained amongst a pile of mysterious glowing corpses as a child. After his assistant, a clumsy girl named Toriyoje Chitose, tells him about the discovery of a glowing corpse, Heidi pushes her out of the way and rushes to the scene to examine it. The glowing corpse, which Heidi names James, comes to life and attacks, seriously wounding him. Heidi reveals that the black apple is known as a Eureka, a magical item which is responsible for scientific discoveries. Heidi bites into the Newtonian apple, which previously gave Isaac Newton his understanding of gravity and gives Heidi gravity powers. Heidi quickly defeats James but winds up in the hospital due to his injuries and is attacked by a nurse who is transformed into a harpy monster to steal the Newtonian apple. Her transformation, as well as James's transformation, were both caused by a mysterious masked man known as Killed, who refers to himself as a god and belongs to a race of beings known as the Mavro, and uses the peas that Gregor Mendel used to discover genetics to cause forced genetic mutations. After a fight, Heidi and Chitose escape, save the nurse, and head to the British Museum in order to find a suspected Eureka, the Pythagorean hammer which has power over sound. They are taken into custody by Alan Blackman, the wielder of the hammer, and his assistant, a little girl named Mira Caldicott, who asks them to join an organization called White Joker, which was created by the UN to fight the Mavro. Heidi refuses until Mira reveals that White Joker has a connection to his past 
and Heidi remembers that in the pile of corpses he saw as a child that there was a lone figure in a black cloak smiling at him, which is implied to be a Mavro. The White Joker base is immediately attacked by Raggins, a Mavro wielding the Thalesian Amber, which gives him electric powers. Heidi combines his powers with Alan to defeat Raggins and then goes to France with Chitose to meet Vivi, a girl with metal powers, in order to investigate a witch using a Eureka to create a giant labyrinth and minotaurs out of mist. They team up with the witch's sickly grandson Nils and make it through the labyrinth to find that the witch was killed by a Mavro named Dodemicus, a Mavro who uses poison to paralyze women and uses them as dolls because he's a fucking creep. But the witch's ghost appears to give Nils her Eureka, which helps them win the fight. After beating Dodemicus, a figure that Heidi recalls from earlier appears and reveals himself to be Noct, Heidi's older brother. Heidi is actually a human Mavro hybrid whose original name was Barshite. Noct then reveals that Heidi's memories are fake and were actually implanted by him. But Noct cares so little that he actually forgets why he did that. Noct asks Heidi to join the Mavro, but Heidi declines, and Noct decides not to kill him because he finds Heidi interesting. Noct does, however, kill Dodemicus, which is pretty cool. <sighs> Heidi and the gang then go to Rome where they meet Reese Aquilanti, a male doctor who dresses as a woman to make patients at ease and has a Eureka which gives him x-ray vision. Then they go to Austria to bid in an auction on a painting made with Eureka paints that have blood in them, but then a bald generic unnamed Mavro who can dual wield Eurekas that shoots lasers appears and attacks them, but then Chitose activates the Eureka paint which gives her the power to control blood I guess. Heidi uses his gravity powers to make black holes that suck up the lasers and the bad guy and they win. Heidi then creates hungry joker pills which empower eureka users and they go to japan to stop killed from killing all the humans with his new eureka the newtonian seed heidi reveals that he actually fed all the hungry joker pills to the newtonian apple turning it into the apple from the garden of eden which kills killed dead a year passes everyone is taller they are getting ready to defeat the mavros and it's over Sorry, can you really say that? I, I wasn't paying attention. Okay, so Heidi is a boy genius scientist with amnesia. <laughs> <laughs> Jordan, you were like really about to just reread this whole thing. I, I knew it was a joke. <laughs> that was so good. <laughs> I don't know, Trey. Jordan was definitely in the zone with that. Absolutely. Jordan, of course, gets two entries into the $5 uh, Sizzler gift card that we do at the end of each episode for doing such a fantastic job reading his <laughs> latest novella, which was Hungry Joker, A Summary. Jesus Christ, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about the main character. So Trey, would you like to kind of give a breakdown of your thoughts and kind of description of Heidi? Basically, my understanding from Heidi is that he is your uh, stereotypical antisocial child genius yep. in so many anime that I've already like watched and manga that I've read. Anytime they put like a genius, they all seem to fall into the category of does not get along well with others. <laughs> Yeah, but this guy specifically is an asshole, like especially more so than they usually are. Oh, yeah. Like I mentioned up there in the plot that he pushes Chitose out of the way. Uh, Chitose is like this very is like this very sweet girl assistant. And he just like walks past her and it seems like he just pushes her into the wall because he just doesn't give a shit. I really want to say I can characterize like there is a very famous quote from r slash atheism. <laughs> yeah. And some of our listeners may know what quote I'm about to read that people like to put on pictures of Neil deGrasse Tyson where it says in this moment, I am euphoric, not because of any phony God's blessing, but because I am enlightened by my intelligence. And I think that just perfectly summarizes the personality. <laughs> Even in like the first chapter, he's like, why are you praying? There is no God. Even though in the next chapter, he's like, this is beyond science. This is magic. And I'm like, what? Okay. <laughs> Yeah, it's like science versus magic, except that the science is magic. <laughs> 
this series like doesn't try to have science like the eurekas which are like the main things derive from science but then this author was like that's too much work bro i ain't gonna do any fucking homework oh yeah it's very clear that he actually doesn't really know anything about science even from like the specific eureka he uses which i will get into later it's pretty clear that he was just really grasping at straws for a lot of this stuff Piggybacking off of some of that, it does feel like the mangaka had, like, no idea whatsoever, like, what a scientist even does. (laughs) Like, scientists do not just, like, take two things, put them together, and go, this is an experiment. (laughs) I feel like there's going to be a drinking game with this episode where every time I compare it to Dr. Stone, you should just take a shot. Oh, man. You win if you are too drunk to be able to read Hungry Joker at the end of this episode. (laughs) Nice. If you're just like, take a shot anytime you have a parallel in your head, I think you'd probably die of alcohol poisoning by the time you're halfway through. (laughs) Yeah. And then so for context for listeners, Dr. Stone is a series airing right now, which I think I've talked about in the past, actually. And essentially, it's really atypical where it is a legitimate series about a super scientist, but the writer does his homework. He actually has a scientific consultant. And so all the science is real. Like they actually go through like, how do you from the most fundamental pieces, like say, build a car? How do you build an x-ray machine? How do you build like a drone? And you actually see the scientific development of oh here are the parts that go into a circuit board here's how you refine coal here's how you get gasoline as an energy source and it's like this is work that obviously the writer of this series just didn't fucking want to do yeah i mean here's the thing the main character of dr stone is kind of a dick but at the same time he's also like really smart and interesting to watch and does like cool things so it's like it's fine it's just kind of an aspect of his character and it kind of works interestingly with the other ones and that doesn't really happen here as much like not at all (laughs) (laughs) no i guess just the other rundown of his like more rundown for the character is like he's an amnesiac which i guess makes sense maybe it's just because i'm coming off the back of playing uh ai somnium files but god like almost to the specific point of a six year like amnesiac is kind of like is this just a thing is this just like a plot point that we just (laughs) stick in there <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's the typical RPG protagonist. I wake up, I don't know where the hell I am, you know? <laughs> yeah. Why do I uh, have this thing called a limit gauge in the side? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> dot, dot, dot. Oh, Final Fantasy VIII. That one's for you, Mike. I know you listen to this show, so that one's for you. Who? <laughs> Squall? I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> I can already tell uh, this is going to be a really fun episode. Let's get into the assistant, Toryoji Chitose. And I want to say, actually, I was, like, very impressed that he, like, had a really great design for her where her head looks like an apple. It does! Oh yeah. my god! I didn't even see that. Oh, I thought that was, like, really obvious. I noticed that in, like, the first panel. It's like how Nami from One Piece looks like a tangerine. True. Oh yeah, she does! Or multiple tangerines as it goes on later. <laughs> <laughs> oh god, let's not, let's not get into that part yet. <laughs> <laughs> well, should we? Because that's sort of an aspect of Chitose's character. <laughs> yes, yeah, so she may look like an apple, but she certainly has melons in that it's actually weird how like the offer I feel kind of like half-heartedly tries to do the oh here's this girl with giant boobs and girls with smaller boobs are jealous of her. Cause like they actually don't sexualize her as much as I was expecting. Like he's like, Oh, you got some big boobs, and by anime standards, they're not that big. They're not like the size of her head. They are on the larger end of realistically sized boobs. She's like curvaceous, you know? Yeah. She has a figure that is physically possible. Honestly, the only reason why we're even bringing up her breast size is because Heidi just straight up is like, why are your boobs so big? (laughs) 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, if it weren't for that, I probably, we probably wouldn't even be talking about it. Yeah. Like, there's no cleavage shots. There's no panty shots. There's like, she's just not really sexualized at all, which I will give the series points for. It could have gotten like the total opposite direction. Yeah. We could have been like bone collection because like he just says it. It's not like he like gropes her, gives some like bullshit like, oh, your boobs are the golden ratio or some shit. Yeah. <laughs> Because I could totally see the offer saying shit like that. Trey, for uh, for reference, Bone Collection is a series where the main character gains power by basically groping his girlfriend. Beyonce. Amazing. <laughs> it's, yeah. And then her dad is a scientist and that inspires her to deal with all his crazy bullshit. And I like how her mom just doesn't give a fuck. Like, Heidi has gravity powers, as we've said. And he goes to her house and he's like, you need to come with me to England so we can find this hammer. And she's like, no, I don't want to go. And then he convinces her. And she's like, but we're so far away from the airport. And he's like, ah, not so fast, young one while we were talking i moved your entire fucking house to the airport so they're just on the runway <laughs> they just abandoned her mom like in the house that's on like a runway that's like maybe like 20 feet away from a plane and she's like all right bye have fun in england and that's like it yeah that seems really weird because chitose comes home after quitting because uh, heidi's an asshole and she walks in and heidi's just in there talking to her mom and heidi seems to i guess accidentally ask for her hand in marriage and heidi's mom is like oh that's awesome and her reasoning is oh chitose your dad was a scientist because you know the one thing that will convince me to marry someone is if they're exactly like my parents <laughs> I kind of had the same thought. She just kind of like walks in. She's like, oh, yeah, you're a scientist. You know, I hear wedding bells. This is great. <laughs> That's in our comparison to Bone Collection, though, because that was like also where it's like, oh, let's have this really like weird marriage element. Oh, man. Yeah. They just love marrying Shonen protagonists at the start of the series for no reason. I am reading Mission Uzakura Family, where it's the same thing where this dude has to marry this girl. So her assassin like family won't kill him. <laughs> That's just a trope, I guess. You're like, oh, you're going to die if you don't marry this girl. And it's just everyone's like, yep, that's just how it works in Japan. We also pull out the shadow Goku trope where uh, Heidi doesn't even realize like what an actual marriage proposal really entails. Bruh. <laughs> yeah. I remember telling that Mark got so mad when Goku said he doesn't know what kissing is. And Vegeta's like, what? <laughs> He's never kissed Chi-Chi. Oh, man. There's a lot of implications. It's so bad for Chi-Chi. You have two kids, bro. What? <laughs> <laughs> You're a grandfather, man. I can't believe it. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Oh, Goku. Hey, if it's not training, he doesn't give a shit. Not at all. I actually had something to say about Chitose. This is kind of just my kind of like observation. Me and my friends always have our dumb conversation of who's best girl in like anime or manga. Yeah, of course. Chitose is just kind of best girl, but like because there's almost no literal competition. She kind of wins by default. Yeah, exactly. Like the only other one you really got is what Vivian and uh, she's there for not much time. So you don't even get a chance to really get stuck into her at all. <laughs> So should we get into uh, Killed? Yes. The, the Perhaps the dumbest new character <laughs> in the series, which is impressive because we're going to go into some really, really dumb names. Yeah. So Killed is kind of effectively the big bad guy in the sense that he's the last bad guy that they fight in the series. He uses uh, peas that were used by Gregor Mendel, who everybody should remember from fifth grade science class. Like through observing peas, he saw genetic mutations. But the thing with Killed is that his peas cause genetic mutations, which is like a complete misunderstanding of how any of that works, but like, whatever. It's not the first or only time in the series something like that happens. He's wearing like a masquerade mask, like he's kind of the one who looks the most like the Joker, I would say. 
Yeah, the series reminded me a lot of the series D Gray Man, where the entire like villains of that had that like sort of masquerade like court thing behind it. And that really was like where I was like, oh, fuck, this is like definitely ripping off a lot of D Gray Man, which is ironic because D Gray Man itself had a plagiarism controversy. <laughs> it did. Oh, man. Amazing. This is what you get when you photocopy a photocopy. <laughs> But yeah, I also want to give a shout out to Peas for being my number one vegetable. Every time I go shopping, Peas always there to support me. <laughs> Nothing but respect for Peas. <laughs> so then, circling back to things that are on topic, why don't we get into Alan Blackman, who I think actually probably has the most interesting personality in the entire series in that he actually has one. <laughs> yeah. He has the power of hammer time, where he has a hammer that can create sound waves, and he actually has some interesting quirks where he likes listening to goat noises, and he has, like, this weird, like, kind of pseudo-split personality where he will, like, have this really cool, tough exterior, but inside he's, like, a huge coward. Yeah. <laughs> I thought at first he was, like, psychically talking to someone because he didn't really make it clear that they also draw his like inner voice a little bit differently so like i didn't really understand what's going on at first before i realized yeah and i think what it does is unlike the other characters it kind of gives him an inner life like you kind of see like oh there is actually more to this character than what the other characters are noticing which i think is why he does come off as having more of a personality yeah for sure and then why don't we get actually into talking about vivian trying to say the the french way so trey what are your thoughts on her Outside of just obviously being like the uh, the flagged obligatory tsundere character, I actually really enjoyed that she took some time to uh, get her eureka out, like her power out. Like it wasn't like an immediate reveal. They gave a little bit of time to give like some mystery around her. And then when it's revealed, it actually was like really cool. It was like too complicated to explain in the plot summary, but um, her power is uh, she has the Sumerian ruby, which I don't understand, but basically <laughs> it gives her the ability ability to create giant blades protruding from her limbs. It's pretty cool. But until they actually show it, yeah, they just kind of call her the steel woman. So you're reading this and just kind of waiting for that to happen. I actually looked up the ruby and I couldn't find anything. So I like don't know if it has like they just fucked up the translation <laughs> or if this dude just kind of like invented it. If you Google Sumerian ruby, nothing really comes up. Oh, just wait till I can talk about the paints, David. Oh my god, just wait till I can talk about the paints. Iraqi, I feel like would be reading this and be so disappointed because like what could be a really interesting name to call a woman associated with metal, you know, steel <laughs> or iron, you know, maybe some sort of maiden. Absolutely. If this was JoJo, her stand would be the Iron Maiden. Absolutely. Araki, actually, I feel would have definitely been a really awesome writer for this series because part eight has a lot of this weird like pseudoscience shit in it anyway. Oh, absolutely. Araki totally could have uh, handled this series because like, um, you know, one of the things about JoJo is that like the thing with stands is that they basically just establish rules that other characters have to abide by and kind of like work around them and stuff. And that could have been interesting in a manga that's about supposedly science and being smart. For sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then why don't we get into the last major character? So Jordan, why don't you take us off with the final notable main character? So Nils Lees, which is supposedly a French name, but I don't think it is. It is actually a Scandinavian name because I know someone from Sweden named Nils. So shout out to you, Nils, who doesn't listen to this podcast, but maybe this will get him to listen to it. So the thing with him is his grandmother was a witch. And when she was killed by uh, Dodemachus, she wasn't killed by killed. She used uh, the Eureka of Mist, which is actually not related to any actual scientific discovery. It's like this weird extra thing that doesn't fit into all the other ones. It just creates mist and apparently can also create a giant 
giant labyrinth too, it is probably the least defined power in the series. Yeah, it just kind of does whatever you want with it. Yeah, but he is this very cowardly character who has an eye patch on and is very sickly. He might be like the second best character after Alan. When he gets the mist power, what he does is he creates a giant minotaur, but his minotaur just looks like a big old goofy cow, and I actually really liked it. With an eye patch, don't forget. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Gotta remember, missing an eye. He's a pirate minotaur. (laughs) Oh, man. (laughs) That's a One Piece character, probably. Oh, totally. (laughs) Personally, I really liked Nils just as a character in general. It's one of those, like, so many of the characters are literally just single target, nothing will change, like, my direction. And just, you know, even by making him this, like, horribly reluctant coward, it at least introduced some kind of, like, difference in the mindset of anybody in the plot. Yeah, unlike a lot of the other characters, like Heidi, for instance, Nils has room to grow in his character. For sure. Like, he has something in his personality that he tries to overcome. Like, at the end, Heidi is implied to be nicer, but it's not really something that they build up to at all. Nope. And then the three, like, minor characters identified. So the first is Reese Aquiliante, which... I think as we discussed a little bit, it is supposed to be an Italian person, but that is not an Italian name. So you can't just add a vowel onto a name and call it Italian. <laughs> That's not really how it works. It's just like, ah, Aquilanti. Giordiano is right. <laughs> Yes, exactly. He has x-ray vision. He dresses like a woman for some reason. It's uh, a little problematic how they treat cross-dressing. Yeah, he says that he dresses as a woman to keep people at ease. But like judging from uh, how people have reacted to trans people, it's like, I don't know if that would work for a lot of like random people. Yeah, I don't know about that one, Chief. (laughs) Didn't think that one through all the way, I'm gonna say. (laughs) It was not a smart idea. No. He has like this piece of paper, which was very... Very confusing because when you first see it, it is folded into an origami rose. So I just thought it was like a rose, but it gives him like x-ray vision, I guess, allegedly. Yeah. And then uh, there's Mira. She works for the White Joker. She's like this little girl. She can also use the hammer and that's about it. So she's kind of like a pseudo partner to Ellen. And then there is Nacht, who is Heidi's evil brother. He can control space, but he's probably was supposed to be like the big bad of this series after killed. But I was going to say, David, as a Jew, you better be able to pronounce that name. <laughs> Did you like how in the pronunciation guide I write phonetically and I just wrote N-A dash throat noise? Nacht. <laughs> <laughs> Because I was like, I don't know how to write this. But I was like, Jordan's Jewish. He knows what I mean by throat noise. Yeah, I do. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) My instructions were not for Nacht. Oh, man. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, shut up. All right. Speaking of failure, actually, you guys thought that was kind of funny, but I'll take the segue anyway. Let's get into the failure section of really what areas did Hungry Joker not do well? Trey, why don't you lead us off talking about some of the areas that you thought it didn't do so well? This anime got bleached. They just told them, yeah, I know you were building a story, but you're done. Wrap it up. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So, Trey, that's actually very common where writers will not know if they're getting canceled until the last three or so chapters. So that's why they'll just shotgun the plot in the later half of the last volume. It seems very awkward the first time you read something like this, but this exact thing has happened a couple times in the manga that we've read, where the last chapter isn't a conclusion to the story. It's like the beginning of the next arc that never happens. Oh, man. Yeah, like Samurai 8 literally sets up like a entirely new like protagonist as the main character. And then it's like, well, we're done. Thank you for reading. Yep. 
I could tell that that was kind of what was going, but it's just, I don't know. It seems like they didn't even set themselves up to be able to like shotgun the plot. Like it's one of those things where like, it almost feels like it got killed in the crib. They started to like, just, I guess, get to a point where the plot was starting to not feel terrible. And then it just kind of died. Yeah. I guess that might've been the, the biggest sticking point to me. They took so long to make the plot even kind of okay. <laughs> Absolutely. And yeah, I agree. The series does kind of start to hit its stride towards the end, but it's like, it is kind of too late. The plot is just so convoluted. On the wiki for this series, it separates it into five arcs, like five whole arcs. That's why that plot summary was so long. A lot of stuff happens, but like a lot of it isn't really important. There really isn't any focus. I mean, this series has a similar issue to Stealth Symphony, which we covered earlier, where there's so much stuff that happens. The writer had so many big ideas, but like he doesn't focus on it. He just says them, then moves on to the next one, and it just leads to a situation where it's confusing. Also, one of the biggest issues with this manga is that the whole series is premised on the idea that through science and intelligence, we can defeat God and we can defeat magic. But the things that people use, like the Newtonian apple and stuff, kind of imply that actually every single scientific discovery humanity has ever made is because of divine magic. They're literally like the power of the apple let Isaac Newton know that gravity exists. I was so angry when I read that. <laughs> it just completely contradicts itself. It's a fundamental contradiction with the whole point of the series. They just drop a lot of elements in the series. Like the glowing corpse thing is never talked about outside of like the first three chapters. It was supposed to be like this interesting mystery element and then it just gets solved and then it just doesn't matter anymore. And they don't even, I don't think they ever really explain why the corpses were glowing anyway. They don't. It's so funny because again, on the wiki, when you click on glowing corpses, it's like, yeah, we still don't know why they're glowing. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> no. Oh, man. You wanted answers out of this series? No, no, no. We, we don't do that here. For a manga that was so, like, gung-ho about, like, the power of science for the beginning, really isn't a whole hell of a lot of any science. They just kind of go, this person is a scientist, and you're just expected to be like, yeah, this is just an understood fact. So they say this one time, but it colored the whole manga for me and also made me very angry and annoyed, where, you know how every manga or anime has like a class of people like you know like uh the jedi or the z warriors or something it sounds like in this series they were supposed to be geniuses yep <laughs> shut up yeah and also eureka is such like a stupid name oh god our translation didn't realize it's a eureka seven and eureka it's a very awkward word to say yeah Absolutely. You are trying to make an onomatopoeia a noun, which is like one of the stupidest like attempts of converting a part of speech. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. Imagine I have my boing to go with my kawow, <laughs> right? It's just it's stupid. Hey, man, in my line of work, we made an entire music genre out of an onomatopoeia. <laughs> yeah. Not to mention that onomatopoeia already used up like all the cool points of the universe of having an onomatopoeia be like a fiend <laughs> who is like a bad guy from Green Arrow and Batman. I love that guy. Yeah, he's great. Uh, shout out to Kevin Smith. Really dedicated listener to the show, by the way. He was only good in the Green Arrow comics. He fucking sucks in the Batman comics. Yeah, that's true. Totally ruins onomatopoeia. I was oh. so angry, but he's great in the Green Arrow one. To get back, though, into failure, I also want to just bring up the art. I always discuss it, but this is maybe the most aggressively mediocre art I have ever seen in my entire life. There is, like, <laughs> nothing good, and there's nothing bad. This is the most C-minus art, where it's like, I wouldn't say see me after class, but I instantly forgot what the art looked like after I was done reading. It just left zero impact on me, and my life has changed, neither for the better or the worse, having experienced the artwork of the series. When I was in high school, my art teacher once said, the worst thing art can 
can be is average because then it just leaves no impression. True. Bad art at least makes you feel something. The thing is, the art here isn't bad. There are moments where there's a lot of detail and it looks really nice, but they're rare. We are going to remember the Beast Children art for a very long time. Beast Children had terrible art. <laughs> this was a few months ago, but Beast Children was below what we consider like an even publishable standard for Shonen Jump. Yeah. Oh no. Yeah, it's really, really bad. Did you guys have any other areas that you did not think were so great about the series? I mean, a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, I feel like all the powers were huge stretches, all the items. I mean, the whole thing where like the Newtonian apple gives you gravity powers. Yeah, whatever. At some point, he just starts like inventing artifacts, yeah. like the Land Strider paints or whatever. So I looked those up. They don't exist. The closest thing I can compare it to, because there is actually something of a connection between that guy and art because uh, Gustav Klimt, who is an incredibly famous, well-known, and fantastic German artist, apparently worked with that guy as inspiration for his art. But they just completely invented this separate thing where actually uh, Landstrider got the idea for his discovery of blood types from his wife using red paint. I don't understand it. Yeah. How are you like six artifacts deep and you've already started running out of ideas? Absolutely. <laughs> I have no clue if they were planning to do more, but like, man, running the well that dry that early was not a good sign. Like, you could have had like a, like, I don't even know, like a Faraday cage. No one had magnetism as a power, which is super easy. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that doesn't make sense. Yeah, that would have been great. Yeah, or you could have had like the Wright brothers, like, like some pinwheel or something and the person can fly, which I guess with the, gra or like wind control or whatever. Yeah, I mean, honestly, it would have made the most sense if Heidi's power was magnetism. Yeah, it's just stupid. Like, spitballing, like, you know, I didn't do any research. I just named like two ideas for artifacts. <laughs> yeah. This is not that hard. You just literally need to look up notable science discoveries. Like you could have had like the cave painting that created art and that's how someone has illusion powers instead of making up some dumb shit with water. Yeah. <laughs> Like, the Newtonian apple was stretching it, the Gregor Mendel peas were also stretching it, the Pythagorean hammer is such a pull. Who the fuck knows about the, the Pythagorean hammer? I had to look that up. That actually has a Wikipedia page. I'll give him that. If you look at Pythagorean hammer, there is a page called Pythagorean hammer. Oh man, the end though. Like, I feel like this manga pulled something with the way it's stretched on the last two. Killed peas turn into, like, Darwinian, like, edamame or something, and by absorbing <laughs> blood, the Newtonian apple becomes like the garden of eden's fruit of knowledge like really really yeah what does that imply too that like <laughs> the apple that newton found was actually just a weak version of the fruit of forbidden knowledge from the fucking bible oh my god <laughs> what how even that <laughs> <laughs> doesn't make any sense yeah my last thought is just also the series has no world building they hint like there's some cool world building and people like care about stuff in the first chapter where they are like the police find the glowing corpse and they're like oh we need a scientist to look in this and like oh well they might have cool and then it's just like yeah we're the secret society and everything is normal except that there are magical artifacts and i was like <sighs> great great yeah it's not like hellboy already fucking did this <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this series doesn't have an original bone in its body besides the idea of like rooting the power in science discovery. It rips off the Gray Man, which, as we said, is already super unoriginal. It's very similar to Hellboy. The art style, people say, is similar to Bleach. 
Oh yeah, it totally is. I didn't even think about it. Black Clover is said to also be extremely, like, I would say either unoriginal or not very aggressive in its creativity. So I guess this is just like what the author goes for. Yeah, I think you mentioned before that, like, uh, obviously this series was incredibly convoluted and confusing, and so the author was just like, I'm just gonna do the most basic uh, shonen plot I can think of. And I'm not surprised that worked, because, like, the biggest issue with this manga is establishing its ideas. Yeah, this dude needed to probably create one or two more pilots with these ideas to actually find out it works because the first pilot had a shitload of terrible ideas that I'm glad he got rid of. And this one did not get refined enough as well. <laughs> did you notice that he introduced uh, the Hungry Joker pills just so we could have a reason for why it's called Hungry Joker? <laughs> so stupid. <laughs> but while there's definitely a lot that didn't go so great with this series, it still had a few strengths. So Jordan, why don't you start off the conversation of the things that you actually did like about Hungry Hungry Joker? <laughs> so one of the cool things that I really thought happened was um, when the main characters with their Eureka's combined powers, it's pretty cool because their effects combine. Like the mist power combines with Heidi's uh, gravity powers to increase the density of the mist and turn it into like water and also implies or at least tries to uh reference actual science it's like a kind of logic yeah true it was a very cool root idea and the author just was like oh fuck this is actually a lot of work to make this power system so forget about it if he had like focused on that and explained it better then this could be a pretty good series i don't know yeah, and on that note, I really like the combo power system. Like, having the theme be, like, multiple person fighting is so rare. As Super Eyepatch Wolf talked about, JoJo Part 5 is, like, themed as having two-on-two -two fights, but there's not a lot of series that make it that your expectation is going to be more than one-on-one -on -one fights, which was really cool. Usually in manga, when it's, like, two-on-two, -two, it's, like, they both kind of pair off, and this guy fights that guy while the other guy fights this guy. Yeah, it was much more like, no, we're actually teaming up. Yeah, Mashal Blue balled us like so many fucking times where we thought we would see like a two on two wizard fight. And then they're like, oh, no, we're going to split off into two one on one fights. And I'm like, son of a bitch. <laughs> yeah. Even though it's a little hackneyed, I really did like after originally presenting him as kind of a dick, they did start pushing towards making the main character a little more sympathetic. I feel like they either should have like done it a little faster or did it a little slower because it does feel like, hey, he's a dick. He's a dick. He's a dick. Suddenly he cares. And then it just carries that for the rest of the series. But it was still like good to see it happen. Also, this series has some pretty good reaction faces. They're not as good as Mashal's at all, because Mashal has the best reaction face of all time. But some of his reactions are pretty funny, Heidi's at least. And there is like one moment where they have to uh, dress really nice, but Heidi has no idea how to put on a tie, so his whole head is like caught in the tie, and I thought that was like really funny and kind of adorable. True. <laughs> Heidi does show some humility like once or twice in the series, which was more than I was expecting. Yeah. And also there are moments where the art is really good. Heidi's brother, Nock, when he shows up, he gives like one of the creepiest faces I've ever seen in manga. Like it is a really creepy, like genuinely disturbing smile. Yeah. Do you guys have anything else you want to say in terms of positives? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> This, like, combo power system just reminds me of Kirby the Crystal Shards, 
Oh, that's great. Yeah, I see that. <laughs> where you could just take other powers and you combine them where it's like you had like ice and sword and you had like an ice sword or it was like you had spikes and like explosions so you can make like kunai bombs or something. True. Yeah. And that actually ties into really some of the areas where I think like the combo stuff really was probably the first thing I would say in terms of what the series really could have done to have made itself a lot better. I would have gone all in in this being the two-on-two fight series. Like I said, there's a serious drought. It's always a highlight when that happens. The two-on-one fight against the bomb devil and chainsaw man with beam and denji was super awesome just to see like how are people cooperating how do the powers combine like there's a system where they can put their powers together and it creates a third new effect and that just meant there was so much potential with all these people you know someone controls electricity someone controls metal someone controls gravity it just really would have been awesome to see the different combinations and fighting villains especially when the villains are shown to be superhuman because this is why you're doing two-on-one fights just because no normal human could take down you know these superhumans so you got to work together and literally both through cooperation but also just showing the synergy between your powers by creating new powers in itself true yeah it did feel like um like a cool mechanic in a video game like kirby the crystal shard yeah yeah (laughs) it did yeah exactly how about you guys what do you think even though part of it is just because you know it kind of ran its clock out too fast it planted some really interesting seeds in my opinion specifically like around knock i really would have liked to see like some more like seeds placed along before we kind of rushed to the end i feel like that was a really strong story beat because it ties back into like his amnesia and everything else if they really could have like done something with that i think it really would have been great the next thing i really would have thought is i think this series would have been a much more interesting animated like the gravity powers it's just really hard to show things just floating and moving in static images especially because they don't have as much space to show the backgrounds of showing like maybe orientation being weird yeah and i will say like the actual fighting does look pretty cool Mm-hmm. And then lastly, it would have been cool if they had actually had like a page maybe at the end of each chapter talking about the actual science about it, where it could have just been like a fun like science page. And you're like, here is like the real life science behind it. And that would have been like, that's kind of neat that there's like an actual learning element to a series that's using science as the base, but then doesn't actually care about what the science actually meant in the real world. Yeah, like Dr. Stone. <laughs> well, Dr. Stone, that's like built into the framework of the series. This is like, I'm thinking about like how Areki had like a dude playing guitar and he spent a page just talking about why the guitar was super awesome and you should like be impressed that he could play the guitar. If you remember Red Hot Chili Pepper true (laughs) but yeah so those are the things that just really the two on two would have just been so cool and that really would have made the series feel unique which is ironic because this offer is well known for not being the most original yeah i think that's fair and then let's take it then to the miscellaneous thoughts i'm struggling to find stuff to talk about with this series man (laughs) there's so much that happens and a lot of it most of it doesn't matter or leaves that much impression yeah absolutely we can talk about how (laughs) this is another one on the pile of edgy gravity character god yeah it just keeps happening like i think mashal is the one where we saw it again and like of course the quintessential examples from zatch bell where just for some reason they give characters that are like huge assholes and like loners and stuff the ability to control gravity and i'm just really curious about why all these like this is just part of the zeitgeist of manga where it's like oh yeah edgy character has to have gravity powers i mean i guess the only real connection is is the fact that gravity creates black holes i guess yeah or maybe like a crushing feeling of depression i don't know yeah I also, just one last miscellaneous thought was another unoriginal thing is Jordan. Trey, where have you heard about a series where someone got unusual powers by taking a bite out of a weird looking fruit? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> so oh, spoiler no. alert, we can add One Piece to another <laughs> list of series besides how One Piece is really, you know, affects every manga series after it came out. But that is another ripoff element from this series. So we can add that one to the list yeah, as absolutely. well. Absolutely. I don't think we've talked about Dr. Stone as much as I had. So I'm just going to say Dr. Stone like five times right now. So people just need to drink. So Dr. Stone, Dr. Stone, Dr. Stone, Dr. Stone. And Dr. Stone. I was going to say Professor Rockface. Sure. <laughs> Professor Rock. That's what they're going to call the, uh, the musical component for the series. Oh, no. Professor Rock. Yeah. Yeah. The boulder. Science boulder. This is really is Dr. Stone if the writer hadn't wanted to put any effort into actually researching science. It has, like, the aesthetics and the wording of science, but it is very clearly not science at all. Yeah. Fun fact, uh, by the way, the artist of Dr. Stone actually has a degree in physics, so they actually, they really do have, like, a good team on that series. That explains a lot. Mm-hmm. I think Dr. Stone is also the only series running Shonen Jump where one of the creators isn't Japanese. I didn't know that. Yeah, the artist is Korean. Oh. I was trying to find if there's any others, but I just, I couldn't find anything. That's awesome, though. Mm-hmm. And then speaking, though, of conclusive things, though, why don't we turn it to the final verdict where, Trey, how would you say you would describe this series in six words? Hmm. Stand fights using worse millennium items. <laughs> That's really good. They actually don't go to Egypt, which I'm sure would have been one of the locations next. They would have found a book from the Library of Alexandria, and it, it's like a universal translator, because apparently they were final characters having like completely useless abilities in combat, like the X-ray guy. Now that I'm thinking about it, I'm kind of sitting here like, wait a minute, they were like traveling all over the world. Were they all just like multilingual? Is everyone just a polyglot in this? <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. The main character is a genius and his assistant. So they probably, I'll just assume they probably all spoke English because they went to England. True. And British people only speak English. They're like Americans. (laughs) (laughs) True. I also feel like that's kind of an anime thing. Like I just, it just reminds me of Digimon, how they go all over the world in season two. And it's just never brought up that they can all understand each other. Exactly. So Dr. Stone actually does that. They like go to America from Japan and only like two characters can speak English and it's like an actual problem for them. And they actually have to like, like figure out how to actually make that work. Cause they're like, why would people in America speak Japanese when they meet like a bunch of like NASA scientists or they meet like a scientist from NASA? That's dope. Oh, that's cool. I haven't gone there yet. They actually explain it though, because so what happened was this is really big Dr. Stone spoilers, but it's from an arc I really didn't like. So I'm just going to ruin it. It turns out the main character was pen pals with like the scientist at NASA. And you know, the scientist learned a little bit of Japanese so he could like talk to the kid as his pen pal and that's why when they meet up in person he knows some Japanese oh nice that's the kind of forethought that the guy who wrote this manga does not have No, definitely not. I really was surprised they didn't just introduce some bullshit, like, universal translator. The first book ever written in, like, you stuff a page in, like, your pants or something. You know, like, just shove it up your butthole and you can speak any language, you know? <laughs> like, ah, get it real good in there. Oh, no. Why didn't they go to Egypt? They should have. They were too afraid of vampires. They absolutely should have. Like, they're just going to, like, places in Europe and stuff. And it's like, if you're going to go to, like, some old science that, like, people can't really call you out on, then go to Egypt and find some really ancient thing. Absolutely. And then, so, George. And what was your six-word summary? My six-word summary was science trumps magic if science is magic. I think that was seven words, fuck it. <laughs> All right, mine was Steve Jobs, Apple Presents, colon, the iManga. <laughs> <laughs> Because this is manga that had, like, the, like, completely pretentious, self-absorbed nature where I was like, if Apple made a manga series, this would be it. God, this manga thinks it's so much smarter than it is. 
It's so dumb. Oh, God. And that shows you why it's so important that you need to have a good writer. Just like how, why don't we get into some, hopefully some recommendations with good writers as we go into flop or not. So, Trey, would you consider the series a flop or not? Absolutely a flop. Would you call it a certified flop? I'd say so, yeah. All right. So, (laughs) since it's a flop, what would you recommend our dear listener to check out instead of reading Hungry Joker? Which, again, if you're playing the Hungry Joker Dr. Stone drinking game, you are probably on the floor at this point after I just said Dr. Stone like five times in a row. Call an ambulance because I got something for you. (laughs) Definitely read Dr. Stone. God, I was going to say, actually, in the spirit of cooperation, which is the theme of this series, are we just all three united to say this was a flop and to read Dr. Stone? Is that just our first ever unison recommendation verdict? Yes, 100%. Um, oh, oh. I will actually say read Hunter Hunter. That doesn't go with the theme of it. I'm cutting that out. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Hunter Hunter is also great. So Jordan, why would you recommend Hunter Hunter to people that find this series interesting? Because this isn't a science man. It isn't. If you like something in this series, it's not the science Mm -hmm. because it doesn't exist. Like what you're interested in are like cool fights and maybe like some intrigue. So like, I don't know, maybe not Hunter Hunter because that is too like intrigue heavy. I don't know. Read JoJo. Just read JoJo Part 5 if you want some cool two-on-two fights. Or Part 4 if you want to read a good JoJo. Yeah, Part 4, best part. (laughs) And then Jordan, though, would you consider this a certified flop or not? I don't know if it's a certified flop. Like, the thing is, I didn't hate reading it. It was just like, it's just kind of like a thing. It's on the same level as Guardian of the Witch. It's like... That's just kind of mediocre. I would consider this a touch better than Guardian of the Witch. I would too. The series was very aggressively mediocre, where it was just like a straight like six out of ten. The stuff that made me angry was like the pretentious stuff about trying to connect it to actual history and it never worked. But like, aside from that, it wasn't like miserable to get through like Bone Collection or Beast Children. It was just kind of not good. Maybe I'm fortunate that I haven't read worse, but I don't know. This was kind of a slog for me. We have certainly read worse. (laughs) If you want to read worse, yeah, you can check out Beast Children, Bone Collection. SWAT. Those are uh, three very great examples of terrible manga. Well, this is a good example of mediocrity. (laughs) But that also does hurt it because like if someone's like, oh, I want to read a really shitty manga, I'll be like, well, I have this for you. I want to read a really good manga. I have this for you. Who the fuck is like, I want to read a really mediocre manga. Tell it to me. Yeah, like we will probably never mention Hungry Joker ever again. And I say that in the next episode. We're reading a manga that has to do with, like, apples, and I'm like, oh, this is just like Hungry Joker. I'm like, ah, son of a bitch. They got me. Honestly, even if it has to do with apples, I still might not bring up Hungry Joker. But are you hungry for apples? (laughs) 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 So, though, Jordan, as we said, this is very mediocre, so it is not going to try and take the crown from either Beast Children as the worst series we've ever read or Time Paradox Ghost Rider as the best series we've ever read. So it continues the theme of just being straight in the middle of being completely unnoteworthy. Yeah, I think the placement just above Guardian of the Witch is accurate. Yep. So now let's just turn things to shout outs and sign off. I want to start by giving props to Jordan for making the theme song you heard at the start of this episode. I want to give props to Aaliyah for making this episode's cover and Nigel Francis for being our generous art benefactor. I also have a little bit of a solemn note where this will actually be the last episode Aaliyah is to art. She is moving on in her career as a tattoo artist. We wish her the best, and hopefully we're going to be doing a little special with her recapping her time on Shonen Flop and just talking about some of her favorite pieces and some of ours. So keep an eye out for that. Aaliyah's been great. Thanks so much for the work you've done. She will definitely be missed. Um, Hopefully she'll stay a member of the community. We will however have a new artist starting with us for the next episode. So keep an eye out. I'm really excited. She's also awesome. It was actually a very easy journey where we were like, oh, we need to find a replacement. And a 
friend of mine was like, oh, I know someone. And then we were like, all right, yeah, let's go with her. Yeah. Didn't have an artist for about six hours. So <laughs> uh, it's, it's nice when things can be that easy. Totally. <laughs> and then I also want to thank Tucker for his pronunciation help. This episode, he said, was actually a really fun one for him because all the names were French, Italian, German. He actually got to stretch some different language muscles rather than just translating Japanese. And keep an eye out for in a few days after this episode drops, we will be doing his language guide where he's going to go into not only the Japanese, but as we said, like for instance, the name of the character that controls metal uh, is Vivienne, not Vivian, because it's actually supposed to be the French form of the name. And that was an interesting difference that I wasn't aware of till I heard his language breakdown. And then finally, I want to give a thank you to Trey for being on the show. Yeah. Can you tell Lawrence a little bit more about what you've been working on and where they can find you? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, as of right now, I've been working on a big project with Riot Games. Can't really say too much about it right now, but keep your eyes uh, on, I guess, the League of Legends pages if you're interested in that sort of thing. Outside of that, I'm just doing uh, weekly to bi-weekly videos of covers on YouTube and streaming at twitch.tv. It's all got the same name. If you want to follow me, it's uh, Twitter, Facebook, all that other social media garbage. It's Trey, T-R-E, Watson Music. Trey's a great guitarist. Absolutely. Highly recommend. Check them out. I want to give a thanks to David for the editing. It really is like a process and really thank you so much for the work that you do, Dave. It's a lot of fun doing the editing. And then I just want to turn things to our general shout outs. First, of course, starting with please remember to like and share this episode if you are enjoying it. Having more people listen really helps us be able to build a better audience, which lets us make more episodes. And of course, if you can leave us a review on the iTunes store, that is really, really appreciated. And we will happily give you a shout out on the show. I also want to give some shout outs to some really awesome things you guys should be checking out. The first is The Greatest Gaming Show Ever is a brand new show by friend of the show, Kami Jace. He was on our Guardian of the Witch episode, so be sure to check it out. I will put a link in the description. He's a great guy. I also want to give a shout out to the Ads for Podcast Network. They're an independent podcast alliance helping podcasts grow their audience with Unstoppable Alliance. You can find them on Twitter at, at Ads for Podcast. That is for like the number, not F-O-R. I also want to give a shout out to Realcast. It's a collective of different podcasts focusing on movies. In particular, I like their guilty pleasure series citing if a movie is bad is bad bad or good bad and their interview series where they're talking to people that actually work in industry you can find them at realcast and then lastly i just want to play some promos hello i am christy and i'm Leighton. and together we are a new podcast on whiskey tasting called married, married mash. mash where we discuss life family and pretty much anything yep and Leighton brings a new whiskey for me to try will we clink it or will we sink it? Check us out on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter. And remember, always drink responsibly. Indeed. Hey guys, my name is Rashad Jones, and I am the host of Blood and Fire Water Podcast. A podcast where we shoot tequila and chase it with a case of murder. Some cases may have been covered in other podcasts before, and that's okay. Allow us to just guide you back down that rabbit hole as we re-examine the people, the places, and the things about your favorite cases. You can reach out to us on Instagram at Blood and Firewater Podcast and Twitter at BFW Pod Squad. If you got a case you want to suggest, shoot an email to bloodandfirewater at gmail.com. Jordan, I know that you have something you also want to talk about on the show. Yeah, so I've been doing guitar covers of anime songs. 
So far, I have done uh, Giorno's theme from Jojo Part 5. Which you just said was terrible, and people should not watch that over Part 4. I didn't say it was terrible. <laughs> it's one of the weaker Jojos. Yeah, it's definitely. I'll fight you. What? I compl- I agree with you. Well, I'm just saying to the audience. Oh, okay. Yes. If anyone wants to fight Jordan over the fact that we don't think Part 5 is a very good Jojo part, you are welcome to tweet at us at, at Shonen Flopcast. Yeah, so I've been doing guitar covers. I did Jorno's theme, and I just finished uh, a cover of Smile Bomb, the Yu Yu Hakusho opening. So that's up there. I like how that turned out. And for next week, I think I'm going to work on the first intro song to Attack on Type. And you can find that on our YouTube channel, which I believe is just Shonen Flopcast. And we'll be posting it to our Twitter, which is also at Shonen Flopcast. And I heard you even won like a Reddit award for your uh, Smile Bomb cover. I guess whatever Reddit awards mean, someone was just like, you won the helpful award. Like, okay. I remember the first time I got gilded was I posted on Crazy Ideas in 2016 saying we should have a spouse debate and have Bill Clinton debate uh, (laughs) Melania. Oh my god, that would have been great, actually. Alright, so then, thank you so much for joining us. You can find Shonen Flop on Facebook and Twitter at Shonen Flopcast and our website, ShonenFlop.com. We're also on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever else you get your podcast. This has been David. This has been Jordan. This has been Trey. And you've been listening to Shonen Flop. Keep on flopping, floppers.